we pivot to our, uh, the, the sermon portion uh, of our worship service. Um, today we have a special guest preacher. Uh, some of you know Will Savell. Um, if you don't know Will Savell, um, but you've been around Grace Community Church, uh, you, you have um, been impacted by his influence um, uh, because Will is our connection uh, through the Ellswicks. The Ellswicks are the missionary family that, that we uh, support, um, that you may have heard uh, bits and pieces about kind of what's been going on uh, with their calling to Central America. Uh, Will's going to, uh, I don't want to spoil his thunder or anything, but um, Will's going to give us a little bit of info on uh, on the Ellswicks. Uh, and so since we couldn't have the Ellswicks, I mean, you know, the next best thing um, Will Savell. I told him I was going to make that joke beforehand. Um, I, don't, I don't know that it landed. But, um, but we are delighted uh, to have you, Will, and look forward to uh, hearing about your ministry and hearing God's word proclaimed through you. So please come. Hey, please take a minute uh, while I'm introducing myself to look up John seventeen seventeen. That's going to be our text for this morning. One verse of Jesus is prayer to his father within the larger section of of this thing that we call the high priestly prayer, John seventeen seventeen. Hey, good morning. It is an honor to be here with you. Um, as you've read in your bulletin, and as Justin just said, my name is Will Savell. I'm not a native to Memphis, but I've lived here about as long um, as where I was raised, my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi. Um, my wife, Elaine, is with us today. Um, we're going on 19 years with our three children. Uh, one at Westminster Academy, Emma, and then you have Jack and Allie down here at uh, Riverdale Elementary and Middle. We're in the throes of sports. Uh, we feel like a literal taxi service right now. Um, we go from one place to the other, uh, but we love this time of life. It's, it's a really fun uh, time for us to going and watching all these games. A little bit about me. I am the president of a ministry called the Grace Institute. If you've been around this church for a while, you might have heard about us through your former pastor, Nathan. Uh, he traveled with us to Uganda uh, several years back. I think it was actually on Facebook. I saw Time Hop or something. It was today we were headed off to Uganda uh, three years ago. But he taught a pastor's conference surrounded by not only people, but many goats and chickens. And I think he was a bit uncomfortable, a little bit outside of his context, which made me smile a whole lot. Um, and if not from uh, Nathan... Then you might have heard about us through Daniel Weaver and Michael Joyner. And without knowing, we met up in Nicaragua at the same house and served the same ministry throughout the week. And, you know, looking back on the week, I felt like there was a lot of balloons were involved. And uh, I feel like Daniel Weaver involved himself with many balloons. But you can ask him about that another time. We were in Nicaragua with the, the missionary that you support, the Ellswicks. You know, just months ago, they were here with you at the mission conference, and I know this because I was right back in the back there. Um, they were talking about their ministry called El Instituto de Gracia, or in English, the Grace Institute. Uh, Tony and I, we've been working together for years, and I want you to know that, that you guys are supporting a really good family, and not because they're nice and personable. I, I know that you, you, you notice that. Uh, there's a lot of missionary couples who are that way, especially when they're visiting the supporting churches back home. Uh, the, the Ellswicks are not very, only very nice people, but they also have a mission that has a great effect on many pastors and church leaders, and therefore uh, their ministry is having an effect on many congregants. 
in Latin America. And I hope you guys can remain friends with them for many, many years. And I hope that I can be someone uh, to keep you updated on them since our goals and ministries are so connected. You see, the mission at the Grace Institute is to train, equip, prepare, and resource church leaders around the world for Christian ministry. Now, much of this comes through biblical education. We try to get really good biblical education into the hands of pastors and church leaders who couldn't otherwise get into a Bible school or a formal seminary somewhere. And so through some pretty unique ways, simply put, we help pastors learn God's words so that they can teach their congregation the truth. We want people around the world to be engaged and be committed to truth. Because it seems that the truth is hard to come by these days. Would you agree with that? I'm not saying that there's no truth. I'm just saying that it's hard to come by these days because we live in a fake news world. It's amazing the amount of times you hear that phrase on any given day when you turn on the news. And it doesn't matter which news channel that you turn on. No matter what channel you select, the commentators are shouting, fake news! You you turn on one channel, one commentator will say, uh, it's untrue. The other group will say, fake news. And this is worldwide. My Ugandan partner, we work in Uganda, my Ugandan partner, he's here this week. Uh, He's just at another church this morning. And we're joking around, and I forget what we were talking about, but I'm joking around with a guy, and he looks at me and he goes, that is fake news. <laughs> this phrase has made it to the other side of the world, even in a day with so many ways to communicate and with so much capacity to record what is really going on. Truth is hard to come by, and there's consequences to this reality, and these consequences just don't affect the rural church in Central America or the um, outlying areas of Africa, but you too. About a month ago, Justin asked if I would preach today, but sort of do something within the context of our mission and ministry. So I guess if you want to get to know us, you need to know this. There's nothing more important to our mission than truth. And this subject of truth also seemed pretty important to Jesus as he was praying for his people to his father in our text this morning in John 17, 17. Are you there? In John 17, 17, Jesus prays to the father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What a prayer. The high priestly prayer is what it's called. Right before Jesus is betrayed and taken to be executed, he prays to his Father for those who believe the truth and for those who will be future believers of the truth. And for a little context, and let me bring you up to this point where Jesus is praying to, uh, for his people to be sanctified in the truth. And I want to do this because a lot of times we read a verse or we read a gospel or something like that. We read it in a vacuum. But the reality is there's... Uh, what's going on is really steeped in context. And in this case, a Jewish context, one that goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac. But for sake of time, we'll start with with Moses, if that's not far enough back. I'm going to talk about some Old Testament uh, history with the assumption that you might know uh, what I'm talking about. And if not, uh, don't worry. I don't think it's going to detract from where I'm going or the application. So we'll go with a little Old Testament history, beginning with Moses. We read a a pretty famous story 
and see God present himself with his name for the first time, I am. Yahweh in the Hebrew language, Egoami in the Greek. But many of you remember the burning bush experience found in Exodus 3, where Moses is told to confront and to tell Pharaoh that I am sent him in order to deliver, deliver the, the Israelites from Egypt. And when this occurs, I am, Yahweh Egoemi, becomes a name that is revered among the Israelites, a name that's very, very special. In our Bibles, you see it all the time, this name shows up in the form of LORD, all caps. You remember the Old Testament, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, capital D? You will see it all throughout in the name of LORD. That's what it's talking about. And throughout the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord is of supreme importance to the Israelites because the presence of the Lord being with his people led them out of the desert. He gave them power to defeat their enemies, uh, to conquer land. I mean, you, rem- you remember the stories from Sunday school. Your, your children are learning them right now. You remember stories like the Ark of the Covenant? The Lord's presence was in the Ark. Our family watched Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark the other day. It's not quite like that. Um, but you might recall that poor guy Uzzah who tried to balance the ark. And because he touched it, the Lord struck him dead. You might also remember the ark was in the transportable tabernacle or the permanent temple. The presence of the Lord, the great I am, was in the Holy of Holies, the inner room where only the high priest could enter into once a year. You might have read Leviticus in your casual reading time. Uh, Leviticus 16, uh, verse 2 is set up where the Lord is speaking to Moses. And he says, hey, tell Aaron, brother, high priest, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So for this death not to happen... There had to be specific preparations done to and by the high priest. And you can go read more of Leviticus in your own time or go over to Hebrews 9, which gives you a lot of explanation, a lot more detail of this preparation in order to access the presence of Yahweh, I am. And listen, the point of this context is this. There's this long Jewish history with I am. And when the people thought of the Lord, it was probably a little bit different than you and I think of him. I mean, the way that our culture has depicted God over the years, there's quite a range of views from the celestial Santa Claus to the abusive earthly father. Whatever the view that you might have today as you entered into this uh, sanctuary, as you walked into this church, I bet it's different from the Jews living during the biblical times. You know, when they thought of I am, when they thought of the Lord, their minds were directed toward the cloud. You know, that that thing untouchable, the the ark. They thought of things, um, the God who was inaccessible, you know, other than the high priest after going through all those rules and rituals. My thought of death if they did it wrong. The temple and the tabernacle are huge themes when they thought about the Lord. And this thought of I am didn't just end in Malachi 
4, 6, the, the last verse and chapter of the Old Testament, it carried on through to those people in the days of the New Testament where we get to the Gospels like the, that one of John that we're in this morning. Where John introduces Jesus. Right off the bat, he introduces Jesus as the word full of grace and truth. Now that should make your ears come alive since today we're considering this idea of truth. Let me show you a verse that I think you're going to find very interesting. Uh, John 1.14, if you want to turn there. John 1.14, imagine this in the context of how people understood God that I just described to you. Untouchable, inaccessible, tabernacle, temple. And John writes in the 14th verse, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now John earlier presents Jesus as God in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And he goes on to say that was Jesus, the word is Jesus. And that he in flesh, in verse 14, came and he dwelt among the people. Now the word dwelt in the original language, and I won't be too nerdy up here, in the original language is defined as to dwell in a tent or a tabernacle. In some of the Spanish tra- translations, and I, and I work in a Spanish context a lot, but they'll use the verb tabernaculo. Jesus came and he tabernacled amongst the people. Can you see what John is doing? He's presenting Jesus as God, dwelling with the people, and not just in a single location. Yahweh, he came to be accessible, full of grace and truth. The entire point of the Gospel of John is so that the reader will believe in Jesus, that they will believe that he is the one true God. And Jesus testifies to this openly throughout his ministry by claiming that he was God. In fact, he makes claim to this seven or eight times throughout the the gospel um, that he is I am. He invokes that word, I am. He's assigning to himself the name of the Lord. One in chapter eight is so clear and so pointed that they want to kill him. They hated Jesus because he claimed to be the Lord. And he looked really different than what they thought he might should have. And because he was so different than what they thought, when he made claims that he was the way, and when he was the, he made claims that he was the truth and the life, they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it because they had their way and they had their truth, and a correct understanding of I am only complicated their life. And so it's only fitting that Jesus, before he's executed, prays for the true believers to his Father. And remember, you know, we're in the context of John 1, talking about Jesus being the Word, and the I Am statements of Jesus being the truth. And Jesus, in the high priestly prayer, finds it of great importance to pray to his Father, saying, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. That is Jesus' desire for all who believe. That we are committed to the truth. That we are growing and being set apart by the truth. Because that's been the battle since the beginning. I fully realize that sometimes we feel as though we have it worst. The worst in history as it pertains to this whole thing called fake news. But this has been a problem since the very beginning. Consider the garden. 
Consider the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve received some fake news, a story that appealed to their desire to create their own truth. Read through the entire Old Testament. The people believing fake news is pretty much the story of the Old Testament. It's the scenario which gives rise to all the prophets. It's the story which takes us to the Gospels, and we're talking about it right now. And we get to the epistles, Paul's letters. We see it there. You know, with our pastors and our leaders at the Grace Institute, we teach them 2 Timothy pretty often because it focuses on the subject of truth in the context of fake news. In fact, everyone, if you have your Bibles open, I I hear a lot of pages turn, so you're a church that brings your Bibles. Congratulations. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, you've been trained well, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, Paul is writing to Timothy and describing what he calls the last days. I think that's in the first verse of chapter 3, the last days. And he uses words like lovers of self. And lovers of money, proud and arrogant. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You can read all the descriptives later. He then talks about uh, two guys during the time of Moses, on down a little bit, who were opposers of the truth. or They were truth opposers. He reminds Timothy that this isn't what he learned and to hold fast to what he had learned. But the question then has to go like, what did Timothy learn? Well, he learned the word. He learned that in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is sort of our verse at the Grace Institute. Timothy had learned the importance of holding fast to scripture because it was the word breathed out by God himself. So in chapter 4, he continues on by telling Timothy to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season. And this is what you need to see. I think verses 3 and 4 is going to really, you're going to connect to these verses because you see it so often. These are the two verses I think you'll connect with the most. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Is it reasonable to say that we too are in the last days? Could what Paul wrote to Timothy not have been written this very day? Do we not live in a culture who have itching ears going from one teacher to another to suit their own passions? If you want to be lovers of money, then there's a teaching for that. If you want to justify your abusiveness, there's a justification for that. If you want to desire pleasure over God, then there's someone who's going to tell you that you deserve it. If we have this authoritative book that tells us the truth, But that truth gets in the way of the desires of our flesh. We have a culture that has taught us to live our truth. Just live our truth as a continuation of that same lie that the devil told Adam and Eve. Our culture has a propensity for itching ears and there's a whole lot of people who are ready and willing to give them a scratch. 
Now, I'm not one unless in certain circumstances uh, or at certain times to start naming those people's names. Typically, I found that they're pretty convenient and easy targets, uh, and more than likely, you know the types and types of teachers inside and outside of the church that I'm talking about. But the reason why that the Grace Institute, the reason why Tony Ellswick does ministry so concentrated on teaching the truth is because we see firsthand what happens when truth is disregarded. When it's disregarded for whatever other teaching that makes that itch go away. You know, I returned from Uganda a couple of months ago where we worked with pastors from a very, very rural area. Uh, if you ever go to Uganda uh, and you pass through Kampala, which is the main city, I would, I would encourage you to try to notice the names of the churches. The majority will be pretty self-descriptive of what they are and what they do. Uh, there will be a name and then it will uh, say next to the name, Healing Temple or Church of Deliverance, something along those lines. And people, rich and poor, come from far and wide to be both healed and delivered because people have pain and they're in some sort of bondage. But the message found in these places usually come with a catch. Uh, will the name of Jesus be used? Of course. But to that name and to the verses found within Scripture, it's very typical that something is added. Like the buying of certain oils um, or the, the sowing the seed, meaning give money to the ministry. Only then can the healing or the deliverance or the prophecy or whatever else take place. And when that doesn't work, and it does not work, to relieve their itch, they will go get scratched somewhere else. I even know of instances where they'll go from the deliverance temple, who is saying the name of Jesus, and then they'll head over to the witch doctor where chicken's blood is sprinkled all over their body and, and a spell is cast. Now, I know, I know, um, how barbaric, right? What a good little mission story. Thanks for coming. Um, maybe, maybe we do the same thing. Maybe we do the same thing in our culture with just a little hint of sophistication. Listen, I know the culture at large has gone off the deep end when it comes to this subject of truth. If you do a quick search on YouTube, which I did um, a few days ago, if you do a quick search on YouTube for living my truth, just type it in, living my truth, you'll see video after video of people explaining how that has worked out for them. Uh, the culture at large has convinced itself that it makes up its own rules and they go from one thing to the next to get affirmation for their thoughts and their lives. Turn on the news and you're going to see example after example after example of this. Our culture is very reflective of Pilate when he faced Jesus in John 18. Just one chapter over from our text this morning, when he, after the prayer, he faces off with Pilate and Jesus says to Pilate, before being executed, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. That's what Jesus came for. I came into this world to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate looks him in the eye and he responds, what is truth? That's our culture. Our culture in the main is right there. And you see it, don't you? You see this. 
In fact, I think we're quick to notice it. We turn on the TVs, the radios, whatever else we're watching, talking to friends even, and we're quick to notice how untrue and doubtful everything is. But what about those of us in the church who profess Christ? What about us who use words like sovereignty and providence and we say that we believe those sorts of things emphatically? Yet when something in life seems to spiral, we run to the next person, place, or thing for the fix. I could get specific, but I'm the guest and we'd all be uncomfortable, right? So I'll I'll let it be. You see, it's us in the church that I'm worried about. I'm a churchman. It's us in the church that I'm worried about. Because it's not only our lives, but the witness of the church that's in jeopardy when it appears that our commitment to truth has been weakened. I think it's on your bulletin this morning. In fact, I know it is. It's a quote from Augustine which says, When regard for the truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things will remain doubtful. A disregard for truth has major consequences. Augustine uses the idea of doubt. A consequence for disregarding truth is doubt. And I think we get that. There's nothing worse than living in a state of doubt because we've allowed a little bit of the fake news to creep into our lives. Where our world is filled with anxiety, the lack of peace, because we find ourselves mixing and and matching ideas, trying to, to meet the desired end, and always to no avail. I think deep down, we know the personal consequences of this doubt. But the consequences of doubt go beyond us to a world that we've been called to be salt and light to. How do we expect a commitment to truth from our culture if the witness that they see us give is broken down? A witness that's not fully committed to the truth. A question that you and I have to ask ourselves this very morning as we think about this and we walk out those doors to lunch. Has Jesus' prayer to his Father been realized in my life? Now let's remember the prayer. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Has it been realized? Has that been realized in my life? Jesus is asking the Father to set us apart in the truth, to grow us in the truth, to purify us in the truth. Why? Why is he asking that? For us and our own personal benefit? Sure, that that works. But there's more to it than that. In, in his prayer, Jesus continues, beginning in verse 20 of 17 in John, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that those who believe will be sanctified in the truth so that the world may believe. Your commitment to truth is key to your kingdom building efforts in evangelism. May I say that again? Your commitment, your commitment to truth is key to your kingdom building evangelistic efforts. You know, the coworker that you would like to see believe in Jesus or the husband and wife that you sit next to every 
game that your child is playing that you would like to see believe in Jesus? Your child that you would like to see believe in Jesus, why would they? If all they see in Jesus' witnesses are people with itching ears going from one teaching to the next to get a little scratch. Are you ready to commit to the truth? The day of playing games with the truth is over. Our world does not need that any longer. It doesn't need it. Are you ready to commit to the truth? And this isn't just a Latin American or an African issue. The problem exists right here, does it not? It's a global issue, and God wants the world to believe. Brothers and sisters, I would love for you to leave this morning with an impassioned encouragement. Because each of us feels the weight of the fake news world. Some of us who are here right now might even feel a little bit um, bad because you know that you have not been as sanctified by the truth as Jesus might want. And these realities at times can feel like hopeless realities. But let me tell you, we're not hopeless. Not at all. In fact, we should be full of hope when it comes to this subject of truth. Think for a second about the first people. Think about for a second about the first people who received the Gospel of John. We did the history lesson. Let's go back. Let's say the Gospel of John was written around 85, 90 A.D., Those reading it for the first time, they might have been living during the time of Jesus, but they would at least been the children of the the people living, you know, when Jesus was on earth. Their parents would have certainly told them stories about Jesus, but they would have been some of the first believers right in the middle of a culture that would be full of fake news. They would have been around a tradition that would say, Yahweh, I am had everything to do with the high priest, had everything to do with the temple, those sorts of things. By the time the people are are reading the gospel, the temple had been destroyed, 70 AD, Nero. A destroyed temple means an absence of the presence of God in the Jews' mind, which would have seemed devastating. And John is writing that Jesus is the literal presence of God that came and dwelled among the people, full of grace and truth. As the way, as the truth, as the life, coming to bear witness to himself, the truth, dying a brutal death on behalf of sinful man, descending into hell, raising again from the dead, defeating death, and then after a time, ascending to the right hand of God the Father. These people knew of Yahweh, the Old Testament, you know, so to speak. They now believe in Jesus, but he's not there anymore. And the culture around them is drowning them in fake news. Talk about feeling under the weight of hopelessness. Is why the entire gospel, entire gospel of John is written so that those people will believe. It's very clear in John, uh, John 20, he says why he writes the gospel. So that you will believe. But how? How can they? It seems so hard when all the lies, big and small, are so present. And we feel that too. You and I feel that as well. How can we believe the truth in a world like today? Jesus isn't here anymore. He's the truth, but he ascended into heaven. May I give you the same good news that Jesus gave his disciples? 
in John 16, just one chapter before the high priestly prayer, um, is found in John 16, starting in verse 7, when he says that it's better that he leaves because when he leaves, a helper will come. The helper will come. And jumping down to verse 13 of chapter uh, 16, he calls the helper the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. We know him as the Holy Spirit. And John writes in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. A few years back, I was working with a group of pastors uh, again in Uganda. And I realized that these pastors didn't have Bibles in their own language. I mean, they existed in that country, but they didn't have them. And they were pastors. They didn't have Bibles in their own language. And after providing them Bibles, it was quite evident that not much had been written in their language as far as biblical education was concerned. So they were very um, ignorant of, of God's word. Of the truth. So the goal was to help them learn to study the word with just the Bible. No commentaries, no Tim Keller or Third Mill or anything like that. Just the Bible. Uh, nothing else. We were actually in 2 Timothy 3 when Paul refers to those opposers of truth that I referenced earlier. And their names are Jonas and Jambres. That, that, that's their names. You can read that another time. And they asked, these pastors asked me who these men were. And after explaining to them that the Bible doesn't explicitly mention them other than that one place, but some extra biblical writings do, they were a little bit discouraged. There was a sense of hopelessness because they didn't have access to all the information that I had. And I had to tell them that in comparison, I didn't have all the information that other people have. Uh, There's always someone with more access. But the question went, how do we tell the people the truth if we don't have access to all the biblical truth? Isn't that the question that many of us face in some form or fashion? We live in a world who lives out their own truth. We're around it all the time. And we want to be committed to the truth. But what if we don't have enough of the truth to properly convey it? And Jesus isn't here like he was in the New Testament. And I give up. Jesus encouraged his disciples by saying, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. Do you believe that? That's a question. Do you believe? Do you believe that? We are benefited because the spirit of truth did come and he indwells all those who believe guiding us, brothers and sisters, in all truth, sanctifying us in truth so that the fake news world may believe that Jesus truly is the risen Christ, the great I am that he claimed to be. So be encouraged this morning as your commitment to the truth bears witness to our Savior. Amen? Hey, I want to thank you for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Um, Please pray for the Grace Institute and our partners like the Ellswicks and the church leaders that we serve. There are many of them that we can serve as part of God's sanctifying process Uh, as they commit themselves to the truth. And I'll be praying for you. Trust me, I have a love for this church and I'll be praying for you. I know that you have a decision to make in a few minutes regarding a senior pastor and I will pray that the spirit of truth will lead you well and be confident that he can and he will. And I'll continue to pray that through Grace Community's commitment to the truth, that the surrounding areas will see you, they will hear you, and believe that Jesus is the way 
the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. Let's pray. Father, you, um, you, you know the world that we live in um, is one that is inundated with, um, with lies, um, deceptions, many, many things that turn us away from the truth. And at times it seems hopeless. It seems like um, the truth is so far away. But Lord, we know Jesus and we know his eminence by being, coming here on this earth and living a perfect life and dying a sinless death, resurrecting to live and intercede on our behalf. Uh, we know of the Holy Spirit. We know of his guidance in our lives and, and his teaching us the truth that we need. Father, sanctify us in the truth. Commit us to the truth. Set us apart by it. May we learn it, live it, love it. May we um, commit ourselves to it daily through your word, through prayer, um, through knowing you more and more and more so that our life and our words and uh, our presence in the workplace, on the soccer fields, at schools, at, in our home, um, uh, reflect something different, something that is um, uh, transformative. May the world come to know you. Uh, may, it, uh, may it come to know your son, Jesus, um, by your witnesses, by us in this room, um, because we are being sanctified by the truth. Thank you for Grace Community Church. Thank you for um, the process that you've taken them through over um, these past months. Uh, and thank you for the leadership here um, who has um, been steadfast in committing this church to the truth, living by it, uh, teaching it week in and week out. Uh, you have blessed them, and now um, you are blessing them with the opportunity to vote on a senior pastor. I pray for the future of this church that... Um, uh, that it will be led well um, by the men that you've seen fit to um, put over it and that they will be committed to your word and lead this church well um, week in and week out through your truth so that uh, they can reach their community. We love you. We thank you for a day like today. It is certainly blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.